Thank you for joining me for the latest edition of my podcast series. We've gotten into some very detailed discussions of late, both on health care and tax reform. But I thought at the midpoint of the year, it was important to try and take a larger perspective. And, and who better to do that with than Dave Barnard, the head of our private wealth management practice. Dave, thanks for joining me. It's great to be with you, Mark. And for those who um, don't know Dave well, I just want to give some background on him. He joined the firm in 1998, and prior to running our business, he came from our institutional research group, where he was responsible for all client relationships worldwide. So Dave, you recently shared with your employees your view of the client experience in the first half of the year. Share some thoughts with us and, and my clients, um, summarizing some of the things you, you said to us as employees. Yeah, well, everything we do uh, works backwards from um, what, what clients are telling us about their experience with us. So when I, I look back on the first half of the year, one of the uh, first metrics to gauge how the business is doing is uh, our client retention rate, uh, which we've enjoyed at historic high levels over uh, each of the last three years. And generally speaking, we saw a continuation of that uh, in the first half of the year. So clients voting with their feet is, to me, the most important metric that uh, is indicative of how we're doing as a business. So how do we think about that versus industry? I I've got to assume that that's something you think about when you talk to your friends and peers who run other firms. So how does our client retention rate look different than or the same as competitors? Well, it's funny, uh, you know, you put it that way because Bernstein's uh, approach to working with clients is entirely different than what prevails elsewhere in the industry. Where, if if uh, as and as I often say to clients, if if you think about any firm you've ever heard of that works with um, wealthy uh, individuals and families, almost all of them have at the heart of their business development model acquisition. So whether it's buying other firms and folding them under their own brand or uh, buying advisors to effectively get to their underlying clients, growth is really more of a function of uh, M&A, if you will, as opposed to how we think about it, which is entirely organically. As our, our firm is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, we've never acquired uh, a competitor or a single advisor in an effort to get to their underlying clients. Every client we have uh, is uh, uh, an introduction from uh, satisfied clients uh, introducing us to their friends and neighbors, or in many cases, professionals uh, among accountants and lawyers with whom we share clients uh, who are introducing us to folks that um, they work with and they think we can help. So from a retention, it's a completely different it's apples, Model, and, right? it's apples and oranges is, is the very short way of describing it. Um, and, you, you know, look, when we, we uh, reflect back on, as you tend to do with these milestones like a 50th anniversary, uh, the fact that we have built this business effectively uh, from scratch and by hand, never having advertised, never having acquired, not uh, plastering our name on golf tournaments and events that – uh, I hear a lot about from your colleagues from time to time. Right. Maybe we should do that more. <laughs> um, uh, is I think a real testament to the fact that uh, it's easy to say what you do is different, what you do is better, and that uh, you're really all about client service. Uh, but I, I think when you look at uh, our results, uh, more than 85 billion in assets under management, 
uh, 18 offices across the country uh, serving thousands of relationships, that's a pretty powerful proof statement. And then in the first half of the year, I think most of our clients would agree, the, the rise in asset prices or the move in the market has made for a good first half of the year for clients. Well, without a doubt. I mean, we think about um, you know, what clients experience on a year-to-year, -year, a quarter-to-quarter basis. Uh, it is market returns. And when you look at returns across major asset classes uh, in the first half of the year, they were in a six-month period, what we might normally expect in a 12 or even 24-month period. Right. And, and you know, to me, you know, while that's great for uh, everybody, there's real uh, validation and vindication of our long-run um, uh, look at at markets and asset allocation. Where if you if you look backwards, just a couple of years ago, uh, returns were pretty muted. And in fact, in say 2015, um, major asset classes were basically break even right. or Absolutely. slightly negative right. uh, on, on the year. And so, what's interesting when we kind of think about things minimally on a five year basis, we're, we're basically through the first half of, of 2017, exactly where we thought we might have been five years earlier, but the path from there to here was anything but a straight line. Uh, but when you look at it, you know, through an appropriate uh, lens, um, and by that I mean time horizon, uh, you know, you can make more intelligent and informed decisions. The other thing that was sort of notable was that, uh, uh, you know, three or five years ago, um, the major uh, driver of, of equity returns was the U.S. And emerging markets in particular were quite negative and developed international markets were, were decidedly lagging uh, markets here at home. And that really uh, reversed in a pretty major way in the first half of the year and, and was further validation of, of the uh, diversified approach that we had been advocating uh, throughout that period. And, and so a number of... Of, of ways. I think we were quite satisfied with um, uh, uh, not just what happened, but the manner in which it played out. But but the final point I would make as I reflect back on the first half of the year uh, was a lot of the things that we have been developing um, that we think set our clients up for the next five years, which will inevitably be a more challenging return environment from where we find ourselves today. So it, I want to highlight that point. You said that Five years ago, what we were predicting is basically where we are today. But I don't think that feels like it for most clients because you had years where nothing was happening and then you have this six-month period, which is euphoric. And net-net, and you're exactly where we thought we would be. But I think for many of our clients, it's hard to think about the world in five-year increments. They think about it in, well, what are we going to do over the next six months? So with that as a backdrop, if you think about the business five years ago, and, and that's not exactly, but a, a reasonable time period for how long you've been running it. How do you think the our business, because I have some clients who ask me this, how's your business done over the last few years, and, and how do you think about it in running the business? Well, so over the last five years, I think we have um, had an eye towards the world changing quite a bit going forward and, and you know, challenging ourselves um, around decisions we need to be making today to be prepared for that on behalf of our clients, but, but ultimately uh, so that we, you know, we're around for the next 50 years uh, as a business and to be able to serve our clients, we're counting on us to do that. So, um, you know, five years ago, it's, it's sort of hard to um, 
you know, remember, but we, you know, we were still in the immediate aftermath of the financial crisis. There was a lot of skepticism. It's really, it's, it it's almost sounds funny to think that it's that long ago. Short memories, right? But, you know, we were, uh, in 2012, you know, still feeling our way through what would a Greek default in a Euro crisis look like, right? There was discussions around the debt ceiling and the U.S. credit rating, um, and, and, uh, you know, whether or not we would, um, you know, be able to, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to deal with our, our own budget on those terms. And some of these issues haven't gone away, right? right. Greece, Greece isn't now a miraculously strong economy right. and, and we continue to have, uh, you know, major budget questions here in the U S but the feeling, you know, is certainly different and markets, um, broadly speaking have advanced a lot. Uh, since uh, 2012. I mean, if you think back to 2013, the S&P 500 was up 32.5% that year, right? So it just gives you a sense of how uh, episodic market returns are and how the old adage of timing the market is fruitless, but time in the market is extraordinarily profitable. Yeah, it's interesting because if I think about the start of 2012 or 2013 or 14, and I'm not doing this as any science, the, the world didn't feel that much different at any of those points in time, right? The U.S. had budget problems. Europe has had its challenges. But overall, the economy was pretty good. And you just told me a year was flat and a year was up 30%. We've had these six months. So I think that just highlights that point, right? It, it does. But, but again, I think when you look at the simple math of where we find ourselves today, you know, we, we had sort of seen this movie playing out, but when you um, look forward from here, we think, you know, right around now is is a major handoff. A uh, major handoff is occurring across uh, uh, markets where the, the first part of, of uh, any market cycle, um, success is almost always defined by courage. It's participating in an asset class around some of the skepticism we just described okay. that um, a a allows you to, in many cases, earn real excess returns. When you are the one that's stepping in, when everyone else is, is selling, um, discriminating between you know, which stock in the stock market is less a, a, a question of, am I, am I just exposed to, say, the U.S. stock market? Which, There's blood in the water. I'm just, I'm getting in. Doesn't I, matter. I'm getting in. I've got the courage to do it. At, at some point, uh, that changes to where uh, participation is less relevant and skill takes over. So differentiating winners and losers, better fundamentals, more attractive valuations, uh, et cetera, we think are going to be really the story going forward. And so a lot of what we've been doing as a firm over the last several years has been um, developing research-driven investment strategies that are high conviction, um, uh, more concentrated in their uh, expression and application that is really suited for the stage of the capital market cycle that we believe, you know, really began somewhere in the last 12 months. These things don't have definitive no start day. dates and end dates. You, you can recognize them uh, when you're looking backwards through history, but uh, at a moment in time, you, you know, you're, you're judging it by, by other factors, not the least of which is how far into a recovery you may be. So does this mean that the way we think about asset allocation advice for clients in the future might look a little bit different. You talked about concentrations in portfolios and thinking about other ways, and, and I'm not holding anything to here, but just what's the sort of thought at your level of the firm? Yeah, I think generally speaking, um, 
Winning investment strategies, uh, certainly in the near future, and until something changed where there's a major correction or some sort of recession that uh, resets things to some degree, which we we don't expect, um, you know, in the in the near future. One one of the silver linings, if you will, of the relatively muted economic recovery we've had. Uh, since 2009 has been the fact that um, there really haven't been any late cycle excesses created. And so while, you know, if you look at how long the recovery has gone on for, for uh, you know, that period of time, um, you know, it stacks up as the second or third longest expansion on record, but um, it could, you know, easily extend and, and become uh, the longest because of the fact that it's been rather slow and steady. That is, there's it's there's, marathoning. It's yeah, not sprinting. Yeah, that, that's right. The sprint that I think everybody's looking for with really high growth rates, you know, has a knock-on effect that it does. That that boom ultimately has a an echo uh, of a bust. But but we do think that the uh, environment uh, here going forward until something really changes will reward those more high conviction, research driven. Uh, differentiated uh, in, in investment approaches. The thing, though, I want to emphasize further, though, is while we talked a lot about market returns um, as you know, sort of a generic concept, right. what matters really most is the way investment decisions are implemented on behalf of individual client circumstances. And one thing I would say is, as returns get tougher from here. Right? I mean, there's no getting around the math of very low interest rates and the fact that stock markets eight years in um, have squeezed a lot of juice out of the lemon, right. if, if you will. The importance of getting those individual circumstances and, and tying a wealth strategy together with investment implementation, uh, that's always been important. That's an evergreen statement. But I would say the margin for error has been reduced based on where we find ourselves today. So the importance of getting that right has arguably never been greater. Because the risk is as high as ever, right? Risk is high and returns are lower, which means you got you just got to get it right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, ultimately, every investment outcome is a function of a risk and return trade-off. There is no free lunch, uh, despite... Um, uh, you know, a, a, a human. You were supposed a, to say a, that, by the a, way. You were supposed human, to tell us that there was a human, a human desire for there to be, and in fact, you know, no shortage of uh, talking heads that might lead you to believe that maybe there is. The, the fact is, there's not. Um, and yes, in this environment that we find ourselves, where the trade-offs are are tougher, right? You you have to take more risk to get the kind of returns that looking backwards, you've been able to enjoy with less risk. Or for people who are really working backwards from a risk level, you've got to make adjustments to the fact that returns aren't going to be what they were going forward. Um, we think with a lot of what we've done from uh, investment strategy development, we're giving our clients more choices, more options, and setting them up for success in the environment we find ourselves in today, not necessarily what just worked so when you I, look backwards. It, it, so if, if I were to, to just touch on the last point. So it sounds like as we go forward, the portfolios for clients are going to get more and more customized to what they specifically need. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think if we're really doing our jobs right, um, and, and a lot of, we, we haven't talked about some of the operational uh, investments that, that we've made as a firm. Uh, a number of them get pretty technical and maybe pretty boring fast. But what I will say, the common thread is that the, the goal with everything we're doing from that perspective is to make the process with uh, which uh, and how we fine tune wealth strategies 
to that ultimately inform the investment implementation to be as effective and on point and actually something that we can um, you know really update and revisit in real time because no, nothing in investing or in life is ever static so these are things that um, advisors need to be working with their clients with on a continuous basis to make sure we get that right it's not a one and done sort of deal not the world we're living in today yeah it, it never was but but again I mean, coming back to a where we find ourselves today, it's it's uh, even less so. Let me ask a question that is a little bit off topic, but we've gotten some press about. Seth Bernstein's our, our new CEO. He's been here, call it two months. He's spoken to the advisors. I, I'm sure you've had a lot of exposure to, to him. Um, clients have asked me, but better to ask you, what are your initial impressions? Yeah, so I, I, I meet with him uh, at least weekly. Okay. And um, the thing that's impressed me the most uh, has been um, and, and he's, he pledged this from his first day, uh, is, is a listen and learn, uh, uh, method of in, engaging the firm. So, you know, Seth joins us from, uh, another financial institution where he spent his whole career more than 30 years. Uh, and, and so coming into, you know, this business while he has extraordinary, um, knowledge and experience around capital markets and clients, um, you know, the application of all of that here is entirely different. I think he recognized right away he was coming into a business that was functioning on a very high level and that he had the benefit of taking a listen and learn approach. And he said, you know, by golly, I'm going to take it. And and so he's really lived up to that. I think when I'm with him uh, and I've observed this in, in uh, other meetings that, that I'm part of, uh, he's just absorbing information. He's asking really thoughtful questions. And, you know, what I think you can tell is he's putting a mosaic in his mind together that inevitably will uh, put him in a position where some decisions in the future will be made as it relates to our future. But they'll be from uh, a position of really being informed and hopefully, you know, bringing together his still relatively short experience at our firm and, and combining that with some of the fresh ideas and insights that I think all of us are hoping he'll bring uh, from his last firm. But you don't see this as a wholesale change of the, our business in any way? No, he's been really clear in, in saying uh, across the board, but, but specifically to um, the private wealth business that... Um, you know he's he's quite intrigued by uh, not just how the business is functioning today, but really the unique value proposition, which we touched on a little bit earlier, that um, we have uh, in the marketplace, and and how in fact uh, aspects of that value proposition are probably more important today than they've ever been for some of the reasons that we talked about. You know, I'll just say as an aside, one of the things that um, you know I've 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 uh, uh, taken both as a compliment and a challenge in almost every meeting I have with him. He, he remarks that this business is a real gem. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of some of the things that lead him to that conclusion, but I realize there's a lot of expectation that goes right. with that as well. Here are the cars to, here are the keys to a great car. Don't ding it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, pretty much sums it up. Um, so, so, you talked about our value proposition. It makes me think about uh, a topic that's gotten a bunch of press, which is this notion of robo-advisors, and the, their value proposition is you get great advice from a computer at very low cost. Um, do you think that impacts our business, and maybe not our business, but our clients and, and investors like our clients? Um, uh, so I would say yes and no. Um, first off, uh, 
I've spent a lot of time studying uh, the robo advisors uh, and meeting with the uh, heads of those businesses um, who have been interested in, in talking to us for, for for various reasons. So it's been, um, you know, quite an education and, and quite uh, instructive. I think a, a number of them are looking for partnerships and, you know, had business plans that uh, are evolving uh, as, you know, uh, life in business inevitably you know, forces you to. Um, I, I think, you know, at the headline level, the advent of, um, uh, you know, relatively inexpensive um, access to very basic advice is a positive for um, a, a large part of our population that has been underserved or worse, taken advantage of by a system that was really not designed to serve them well. Uh, and, I, and I think for uh, people with relatively modest means uh, and frankly, very simple uh, questions as it relates to, you know, savings and goals, um, it's a, there's a decent alternative there. I think in the end, um, the true robo model, which is entirely technology, mm -hmm. um, will will ultimately be a real niche part of the business. That that what you'll find uh, is a hybrid approach will be ultimately how this this you know vastly underserved population uh, is ultimately served uh, in the future. And again, I think that will be a positive for them. Uh, our clients. Um, are, are are really quite different than the the folks that will benefit from that that robo model. You know, people ask me all the time, "Who is uh, your ideal client?" And I think they tend to expect me to sort of give you know a minimum asset level, and and I don't. Um, in, in, instead, I, I think about it along the lines of our client, the ideal client for us is someone who has the the benefit of of a lot of wealth and the burden of a lot of complexity, and. Neither of those apply to the robo model. But what I will say is that, you know, because a lot of these uh, robo startups really aren't investors, they're technology companies, they are doing some really cool things from a technology and and uh, client engagement perspective that we paid very close attention to and uh, hope to, you know, incorporate to uh, some or even a very great degree on on our own. So we're definitely taking notes, even though the client that we're serving is quite different. So last question, you talked about Seth Bernstein calling your business the, the gem of the company. When you think about your future running the business, and this might be a very personal question, I apologize if it is, what do you think about your legacy being in running this business? Yeah, um, that's that's a great question, and and I, I I hope I'll be in this position for a really long time because I think I have the best job in the company. Um, you, you know, to me, and, and we talked about our, I alluded to our value proposition earlier. Um, to me, while we are in business as a money management firm, and that in and of itself makes us actually rather unique among wealth managers. Um, what we really do for our clients is make their money meaningful for them. And so if you think about folks who have the benefit of a lot of money, but the burden of a lot of complexity, um, our ability to add clarity and confidence, uh, 
uh, not just around capital markets, but real wealth questions. Right? It could be the generational intent they may have for their capital. It could be uh, philanthropic goals they have. It, it could be you know investing in a business that may have created wealth for them in, in the first place. It could be lifestyle ambitions they have, right? I mean, there are uh, you know any number of permutations and combinations to those questions, but our ability to meet them where they are on their terms, bring confidence and clarity around those uh, with a strategy that is implemented in a in a, a thoughtful way, in an efficient and importantly fee streamlined way, um, that is um, uh, well oriented to the environment, capital markets environment we find ourselves in at any moment in time, and is is by definition dynamic in that regard. That's what I want our our legacy to be. This idea of firms uh, or, or our clients rather thinking of us as a firm that yeah they're in the money management business, but what they did for for me is they made my money meaningful. If we're able to do that universally across our clients, by definition, obviously, that's going to be a very individual answer. Uh, I think we will have um, uh, a business that will uh, not just endure, but really prosper over the next 50 years and beyond. And, and that client retention rate that we started with uh, will be even higher than it is today. Dave, I think that's a, a perfect way to wrap up. I appreciate you taking... 20, 25 minutes to, to talk with me and, and our clients. So thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark.